Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you back to a brand new episode of Between the Links here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you're all having a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us at a special start time. We're rolling a little bit early. All will be revealed, hopefully, over the next several hours. But this week, we had to call an audible. And for those who are joining us at this new time, we appreciate that. And a big shout-out to the panelists, who are also jumping on a little bit earlier than normal, which both guys are from MMAfighting.com. So a little infighting battle here. Let us first introduce a man who has probably appeared on the show more than anybody. He's probably won on the show more than anybody. He's had a little bit of a hiatus. He got to host a week, and then he just took a week off in general. Let us say hello to the possibly rejuvenated king of hot takes, Mr. No Gray Area, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed. What do you mean probably one more than anyone? Check the record. Don't don't mind that second column because that second column is mostly horse crap. But that first one right there, 25 big ones, baby. Winningest player in history, the GOAT, Jed Mishu. There you go. The GOAT, the self-proclaimed GOAT. And joining us... And we appreciate this very much because he's a bit, he's been a little bit under the weather if you follow him on social media. But he is here. He is braving it out. He's braving it out, and he's uh, he's a very tough individual. Let us say hello also to MMAfighting.com, my friend, my colleague, Mister Damon Martin. Damon, hello, sir. How are you? I am uh, a little under the weather, but you know, even at my even at not my best, I know I can beat Jed Mishu. So you know, I'm feeling pretty good today. <laughs> We love that. Let me ask you this, Damon, real quick, because I wanted to ask you this off air, but I'm just going to ask you right now. With Better Call Saul rounding third, because I've watched the entire series, it's ridiculous. Can we consider this as one of the top five greatest shows of all time? Is this in the conversation? I think it's in the conversation. It's really, really, really good. And as long as they stick the landing, which Breaking Bad did spectacularly, I think it's in that conversation. Absolutely. Good. I feel the same way. Sopranos I just wanted to guy? feel like Damon, are you a Sopranos, Sopranos number one guy? So, Sopranos is the greatest television show ever made. Okay. I'm not it's on there. It's not my number one. The Shield to me is number one. It's a little outdated now, but it still holds up even all these years later. But yeah, it's the, the Shield is great. I love the Shield. I love the Shield. The Shield's great. Yeah, that's another great one. It, yes. It's the wire, but good good you know, good effort, guys. That's in there too. That is in there too. It is the wire. It is the wire. It is the wire. We have a winner. 
I think we have a new show ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> the Wire still holds up. Like, you watch The Wire today, it still bangs. Like, The Sopranos is obviously was very important for what it achieved and accomplished and sort of set the tone for, but that can be a tough watch if you're, like, rewatching it now and weren't there in the first run. The Wire still slaps. The Wire is yeah. funny, though, because there's payphones in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's a payphone? Oh, There's payphones in all of them. There's payphones <laughs> Not- in the Sopranos, too. But listen, we could talk about television shows all day long. We could talk about greatness all day long. And we're going to continue yeah. to talk about greatness. Let's start Can with Amanda Nunes. Yeah, let's talk about Amanda Nunes and her greatness. Damon, we'll begin with you. She goes out there, puts on a master class for 25 minutes. Of course, there's a lot of talk about the absolute toughness, the durability of Juliana Pena. She stuck it out despite getting knocked down multiple times, getting bloodied and battered. She made it to the final bell. But once again, Amanda Nunes is the UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion. Once again, she is double champion. We didn't get a chance to talk to you about this, Damon, but what was your biggest takeaway from the main event of UFC 277 in Dallas? What did you make of Nunes' performance? And what did you make of Pena's performance? I mean, listen, I, I don't I, I hate the idea that because she lost the first time around that it was somehow a fluke or that, you know, uh, Juliana Pena got lucky or any of that. Listen, it's a fight. And if you step in the cage for a fight uh, and you lose, it, it's a loss. There's no excuse about it. And I understand we hear things about injuries and sickness. And as a guy going through COVID right now, I understand how much COVID can take through from you. So what Amanda Nunes went through, I'm sure, was very serious and coming back from that, you know, may have affected her in a lot of ways we don't know. But I don't like to diminish Juliana Pena's win the first time around just because, you know, all these things we hear about, maybe Amanda wasn't at her best. That being said, Amanda was at her best this past Saturday night. I mean, she looked as dominant as she's ever looked. And I know a lot of people said, well, she didn't get to finish. And Amanda said something afterwards. And I know a lot of it's like, you know, it sounds like, you know, a post-fight speech made for TV when she says, you know, I didn't want to finish. You know, I wanted to beat her up for five rounds. I'm quite sure she would have loved to finish. But that being said, we did see 25 minutes, and Juliana Pena won none of it. I mean, she didn't. She landed a couple of punches. I mean, she did nothing in there. Amanda Nunes was dominant from start to finish. And I think that, in a lot of ways, erases why a lot of people aren't calling for a third fight right away because the first fight, Amanda did okay in the first round, ran out of steam, and got beaten the second round. This time, 25 minutes straight, it was a one-sided beatdown. One judge had a 50-43. I mean, that's as dominant a performance as you can have without getting a finish. So everything was kind of made right again in terms of, you know, the fighters we consider the best in the world because Amanda Nunes is exactly that. He is the best fighter in the world, you know, in the women's bantamweight division, in the featherweight division as well. And uh, arguably still near the top of the pound for pound. I still have Valentina Shevchenko number one, but... Again, it's kind of like, you know, everything that was wrong was made right again with that fight. Jed, we sort of reacted to it after the fact, and we we had to sit through like a three-hour post-fight press conference, so we can only react for so long because it was like 4 a.m. when we actually did the post-fight show. But one thing we didn't really get a chance to talk about, I mean, we talked about the fight, how Nunes looked. We talked about how durable and tough Pena was because that seemed to be the bigger topic of discussion among, amongst the commentary. But... Damon brought up a point I wanted to get your take on. How impressive was this performance? When you look at Amanda Nunes's total line of work, and she's had some big wins and some iconic moments, the cyborg knockout, head kick of Holly Holm, winning the title against Misha Tate. Where does this performance overall rank now that we've had a few extra days to digest it? 
I mean, that question is really comes down to how you view Juliana Pena. And so for me, I, I've, I never thought Juliana Pena was like, she's tough, but I never thought she's that good of a fighter. Um, I think there are several women kind of in and around that top of the weight class who would probably beat her if they fought. And so this is a really good win because it was very dominant over an extremely tough woman who also beat her. And there is a mental hurdle to clear in that regard. But at the end of the day, like this is what everyone thought was happening the first time. And had it happened the first time, we would have said solid win over somebody who don't forget at the time, Juliana Pena getting a title fight wasn't even like a certainty. It was more a process of elimination because you know, everybody else had already <laughs> fought and lost to him in Nunes. So it was just like, well, I guess we can do Juliana Pena coming off a, a rousing one-fight win streak. Like, she beat Sarah McMahon. That's how she got a title fight. And Sarah McMahon, God love her, great fighter, not like all-time, all-time great or whatever. It, it was just a decent win, and that's how it happened. And so I think if what Damon is saying is true, and I think it is in that – this is what was supposed to happen. Everything goes back to how it was before the loss. You take the loss for what it is. It's still a loss. She caught on an off night, and that's what happens in this sport. You still just have to view this win the same way you would have, maybe with a little extra juice, but it's not like this is this is the biggest, the best win of her career. She beat the ass of a woman who's not as good at fighting as many other women in the division, but who's still incredibly tough and did have a slight mental edge over her because of what happened the first time. So probably a top five win in her career i don't know maybe it's 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 certainly top 10 because you know there just aren't that many notable wins but i mean there are a lot of them with her but you, it's just numbers game but i'm not even sure it's top five so this isn't as it's certainly not as impressive or as impressive or important as the tate one home cyborg I, I don't know kind of then your mileage varies so you know good solid win though and now the big question is, what do we do now? Because we have many different camps here, Jed. There are some people who just say, you know what? Juliana gave her a rematch. They should just run this back. Then there's the other camp that says, no, Ketlin Vieira, like she deserves a title shot. And then there's the other side where the needle's starting to move a little more. Even Dana White said he's not opposed to this anymore. It's not a bad idea, I believe, was the actual quote. We pull Valentina up from the 125-pound division. We do this third fight between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. So if you had the mighty pencil right now, Jed Mishu, what's next for Amanda Nunes? Are we doing one of the two trilogy fights, or is it Ketlin Vieira, next woman up? Let's just keep things as they are. If I'm in control of it, and I will take the unpopular stance, but this is what I truly would prefer to see happen, Ketlin Vieira gets the title fight against Amanda Nunes. Uh, the winner of the upcoming uh, Chukagian Fioro fight gets the title fight at, against Chevchenko. And then after that, you can run them. But Kellen Vieira, whether you think she should have or shouldn't have beaten Holly Holm, and I know opinions differ, it's officially a dub, and her resume is, demands a title fight at this point. So you are either saying, Kellen Vieira, you have to sit out for maybe a full year, depending on what happens, because if they did Shevchenko Nunes and Shevchenko wins, then they're doing another one, like again. And so then Kevin Vieira, who deserves a title fight, will have to be sitting out for a year to 18 months or have to take another fight against, I guess, Juliana Pena is probably what would happen. And that's just, I want I want there to be some level of meritocracy, and I, I think Vieira deserves a title fight. Similarly, if, 
if Chukagian beats Fioro, she des- deserves another crack. She is going to lose. I do not get me wrong. I am the driver, the captain of the Valentina Shevchenko bandwagon. But you just, you earn it. You get in there, you do the work, and you earn it. If Jukagian beats Firo, she has earned it. I don't know how many wins it is. I think five or something like that in a row. All of her con- like legitimate contenders, and she will just beat one of the new hot shit contenders in the division. Like You, you just got to give it to her, even if the crowd isn't a huge fan of her or whatnot. You got to give her a crack. So do those two title fights in their divisions because they make sense. Shevchenko even said not that long ago that while she's not opposed to doing the Bantamweight thing, she is still more focused on flyweight and the next contender here, especially coming off the Tyler Santos. And I think the Tyler Santos is really the fight that is instructive here for me because the Santos, like you can make the Shevchenko Nunes fight, and they probably do. That probably is what's next. But it will be bigger, it will be better, it will be more m- meaningful if the taste of the Tyler Santos win is is a little further away, because it's easier to forget instead of saying, well, Shevchenko has two losses to Nunez and competes at a weight class lower than her. And she almost lost to Tyler Santos, a woman nobody really cares about, but who is very good. Now we're going to see if she can beat the greatest of all time. That's just a harder sell. It's not as smooth of a story than Shevchenko re- defends her belt in a rematch against the top contender in the division, dominates her like she did the first time, because she will. And then Nunez beats yeah, and then that's the next, okay, both of these women really don't have anyone to fight. Now we run it back. So that's what I'd do if I was in charge. Damon, do, do you agree with that? I mean, Jed makes a lot of sense here, but this is a chaotic business, and sometimes we just we got to pull the trigger on these things. Shaheen Al-Shadi, our, our colleague, has been screaming for this. Let's do it now. This is not a back pocket fight. Like we have to strike while the iron's hot because we just don't know how much time we're going to have with both of these women. So if you have the mighty pencil, if you're sitting in the matchmaker chair, how are you ironing this out for Amanda Nunes after this past Saturday? Well, I think it comes down to one thing, and that's Valentina Shevchenko's preference. If Valentina Shevchenko wants to go to bantamweight and she wants to fight Amanda Nunes for a third time, you make the fight because you've already risked it now in a lot of ways because Amanda already lost. And then Valentina had a razor close decision in her last fight. If you keep messing around, you're never going to see this fight because if Amanda loses again, or Valentina somehow gets upset at flyweight, you can just kiss this fight goodbye because the interest in a champion versus champion fight, you know, even as great as these fighters are go around their, you know, it it circles around their greatness and you don't want to see both these fighters coming off losses and then trying to make a champion versus champion fight. It just doesn't make as much sense, even as as shallow as their divisions seem to be. So you strike while the iron's hot. Now, if Shevchenko doesn't want to do it, and she's adamant about fighting a flyweight, which is fine. Let me be clear about that. I'm completely okay if Valentina Shevchenko never fights a bantamweight again, and she never fights Amanda Nunes again. It does not diminish her greatness and her accomplishments in the sport if that fight never happens. If she wants it, you make it because you're already risking it. The other flip side of that is if it doesn't happen, then I think the Juliana Pena trilogy is the way to go because as much as Ketlin Vieira, quote unquote, has earned it, uh, Mike, a quote I know you like I gave you years ago, (laughs) if you are an MMA fan, strike deserves from your vocabulary because it will only drive you insane. Yes, quote unquote, Ketlin Vieira, quote unquote, deserves a title shot. But does anyone want to see Ketlin Vieira fight for the title? Are there like three people in the universe who want to see her fight for the title? Jed might be one of the three because nobody else does. 
Now, I'm not saying Juliana Pena, <laughs> after getting I, the brakes beaten off her for five, for five rounds, really, you know, anyone's just screaming to see that fight. But she legitimately has a win over the champion. They are now technically tied 1-1. And listen, we saw a third fight between Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos back in the day after Junior got the knockout in the first one. Kane mopped the floor with him in the second one, and they still made a third fight down the road. It went even worse in the third fight, but they still made it. If you're not going to do Shevchenko, it's got to be the trilogy because no one cares. No one. No, there's no one is going to get excited to see Ketlin Vera fight. No one. Okay. That is, that is like the third fight on a triple fight uh, championship card. That's like how low that one goes down the, the, the totem pole. Okay. Do the Pena trilogy or do the Shevchenko fight. Those are your only two options. The key thing you said there, though, Damon, is down the road. They did JDS Kane after Kane won another fight because you can't run back an ass-kicking of that magnitude. I don't care what happened before. I don't care if in the first fight, Juliana Pena kamehameha <laughs> Amanda Nunes out of the cage. Like, it... She could summon an otherworldly power and explode her out of the cage. That ass kicking in round two, you just can't, you cannot run that back immediately. You can do it and you can do it with one win. All of pain you need is one win. But you think no one cares about watching Kellen Vieira and Nunes? And I agree. They don't. Do not get me wrong. That is a meritocracy (laughs) title fight. That is not a selling point title fight. I don't think it's a real tough sell to be like, they are split, and remember what happened? Oh, yeah, we can't talk about how they're split because, holy shit, Amanda Nunes beat the brakes off of Juliana Pena. You can do it, and you can do it next year even. But Pena, one, Pena needs to recover, and two, she's just got to get a win, and it's very doable. Get her a win over any other person in that awful division. <laughs> but like, Well, if Catlin Vieira— I, I think Catlin that's the Vier- if, possible option is the Pena rematch it, trilogy. I think that's like not anywhere close to happening. Here's my challenge, though. Tell me the tell me the most impressive one Ketlin Vieira's had because I can't name one. I mean, yeah, Holly she Holmes. technically has a she has a win over Holly Holm. She has a win over Misha Tate. There's no signature win that everyone's like, "Oh my God, did you see what Ketlin Vieira did? Did you see what she did?" No, no one cares. No one cares. If you put if you put Ketlin Vieira in a lineup right now with 100 MMA fans, like six people would be able to pick her out of the lineup. Okay, let's just be honest about this. Again, no, I'm not I'm, saying Juliana. I'm, I'm not saying Juliana Payne is going to. I'm not saying Juliana Payne is going to win, and I'm not saying Juliana Payne. At least Juliana Payne can say I have a win over Amanda. New. I'm not saying she. I'm not saying she deserves it. I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm saying it's the only thing if you're not going to do the Shevchenko fight because. Nobody cares about Catlin Vieira. Nobody. You, Nobody. You don't, you don't have to sell. Nobody gave a shit about Juliana Pena before she beat Amanda Nunes. You want to talk about Catlin Vieira's wins? And sure, they aren't like marquee highlights over, but Tate and Holm are better wins than anyone Vieira's beaten aside from the Nunes fight. Like, again, I am not saying you're doing this because it's selling pay-per-views or because the, the public demands it. The public ain't demanding Juliana Pena either. And you just... Just do a new person. Hell, maybe Vieira. I think Vieira has a really good chance to at least look good against Nunez. And if she comes in and upsets the apple cart again, that that goes negatively for the eventual super fight you obviously want to do with Shevchenko. But then you've got another, oh, Nunez is back to losing against Vieira. Now we run this back. Like, I just, I think Pena is not on the scorecard. If you want to argue for Shevchenko over Vieira, 
that's probably what's going to happen, and it's better. Like, I get the argument. I just would prefer Vieira. I don't think Pena's in – I just don't think she's in the neighborhood right now. I think she needs one win, and she gets it, but not right now. Well, the beauty of the, all of this is, uh, as we'll, we'll move on to the Caitlin Vieira appreciation episode of Between the Links <laughs> uh, in a matter of moments, poor Caitlin's just winning fights and taking strays here. But it looks like Amanda Nunes is going to be taking some time off, so we could probably iron out a lot of these things. Valentina could probably defend her title. Maybe we do Vieira versus Pena, and we, maybe we have time to do all of those things, but maybe we don't. Maybe we don't, but... That's the beauty of MMA. And she wants to take some time off. Let's let her take some time off. And I will we'll go say from there. if Shevchenko defends her title and Nunes is still sitting out, and then you want to do the Shevchenko Nunes after that, I'm a lot more down with that. I, I do think it's a lot harder to sell, not harder to sell because it sells itself, but in, in general, but like it is a better sell. If Shevchenko isn't coming off, arguably having lost her, lost to Tyler Santos I think it's just it sits better in everyone's mind certainly in mine yeah yeah and maybe Valentina's just gonna wait to see what happens October 22nd maybe if Chikagan wins she's like nah I don't want to fight her well, again we all know what's go gonna happen we all know what's gonna happen it's death taxes and Chikagan by decision like that's that's just what goes on or split well, decision, well, whatever <laughs> some sort of a decision unless she's getting her doors blown off by super athletic good fighters well more happened at ufc 277 we'll discuss that but the point for round one goes to happy sixth birthday to strike the word deserves from your vocabulary damon martin gets the points <laughs> compelling arguments on both sides you're telling that me arguing for Ketlin Vieira is not a, is not a winning strategy? <laughs> Damn it! If only I know. <laughs> oh man! Oh, <laughs> there we go. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. 
Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, I mean, solid solid start to the show, but let's talk about some of the other things that happened at UFC 277. Of course, Brandon Moreno is the interim flyweight champion. He's going to be set up for the Tetralogy with Davis and Figueredo. We had big wins from Sergey Pavlovich, Alexander Pantoja. We also saw Magomed Ankalaev get a big win over Anthony Smith. We saw a lot happen at UFC 277. So, Damon, I'll begin with you. Outside of the main event, what was your biggest takeaway from the card? You know, I'd love to, you know, I, I like to pick obscure things and like, you know, compliment other fighters on the card or whatever happened. And, and I, I would like to compliment Sergey Pavlovich for pulling off a big one, even though it was a bit of a controversial stoppage. Although, again, I don't think that none of that's his fault, by the way. You know, it's not his fault. The referee jumped in when he did. Um, but listen, I, I know I'm going with the easy choice, but it's the other big fight on the card. And it's Brandon Moreno. I mean, going out there and doing what he did against Kai Car France, who was on a bit of a streak. You know, had picked up the big win over Cody Garbrandt. Uh, you know, picked up the win over Asker Askarov. I was at that fight, of course. I was here in Columbus. Uh, he had looked really, really good lately. And for Brandon Moreno to go out there and, and beat him, you know, pretty handily in the first two rounds. And then, you know, Car for Kai to come back in the third and was doing pretty well. And then to get that liver shot, I mean, just obliterated his midsection. To knock him out and finish him that way was so impressive. And listen... I'm not, I'm, 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 you know, I've been driving the bandwagon for a long time saying I want to see Moreno and Figueredo four. Uh, I could see those guys fight a hundred times. I don't think it would ever be boring or terrible. Uh, you know, Figgy Smalls, as I affectionately refer to him as, is a, is a monster. Uh, despite what Joe Rogan has to say about him fighting a flyweight, I really do look forward to that fight happening again. So yeah, Brandon Moreno was the guy. I mean, to go out there and do what he did. And and listen, we all know it was an interim title. It didn't make sense that it was an interim title. The, the title just got defended back in January. Uh, it made no sense that there was an interim title on the line. So maybe you could say, well, is the motivation there? Is he really going to be excited to fight Kai Car France, the guy he already beat? And really, I'm sure he would have rather had the rematch with, with Figgy. But to go out there and do what he did was super impressive. And then now we're going to, you know, once again, all has been made right in the world because we're going to get Figueredo Moreno for it's the fight that should have happened anyways. It's the fight we should have really just been waiting for, but it is what it is. Uh, but that was really impressive. And, and I love a good body shot knockout, man. There is, there's few things as exciting as a great body shot knockout, how devastating those are. So Brandon Moreno is the guy. I, I can't compliment him enough on that performance. Yeah, and, and just seeing the aftermath of this, I just I, I was I'm still puzzled by Davis and Figueroa's reaction to the interim title fight and that he might move up to 135. I'm like, what do you like now? This fight's even bigger. I, I just I, I never really understood his his side of that whole thing, but that's neither here nor there. Jed, this seemed like it's almost a vindication sort of a pay-per-view for you because there are two guys on this main card that you've been very high on for quite some time. One, Mr. Pantoja, who had an incredible performance against Alex Grez, the old the old shot out of the cannon, just getting in his face and getting the job done. And Magomed Ankalaev gets another big win, and he's getting closer and closer to a title fight himself. So what was your biggest takeaway from the card? Was it one of those two things, or was it Moreno outside of the main event? No, it's it's one of the two things. It's it's my boy Al Pants. Al Pants just... He he ascribed to the belief, which is very true, that you don't get paid by by the hour in there. And he handled business right quick. And look, 
I get it. Uh, again, I'm taking a, a less popular stance, I'm sure. I get it. The big storylines are obviously where the belts are involved, so the main and the co-main event. But if you strip out the belts, I don't think there's a single performance on this card just for the merit that we're talking about more than Alexandra Prontoja just absolutely stomping all over Alex Perez. Like, he... That was the most impressive performance bar none of any of them. That's including Nunez 50-43ing the woman who just beat her. Like he Alex Perez is a good fighter. He is a very, very good flyweight. And Al Pants just said, nah, we're done here. I want and and was awesome on the mic too. Like n- never been known as a huge mic guy, but comes in, says his piece. He wants the title fight. He damn sure deserves it. He's not getting it at least not anytime soon because of the way flyweight has sort of broken out. You called them on the ranking show, the Baron of bad timing, bit, a bit of a true statement in that regard. But he is for me just on, on the sole merits of the performance, easily the standout of this card. And that includes, like you said, my boy, I've been the captain of the Magman and Kaliyev train. He is I almost ranked him number one at light heavyweight this month just to screw with everybody because I believe he is the best one in the world. I know that he doesn't sort of have the resume to even back that up, but I believe that he would beat any light heavyweight in the world if you put him in in the cage with him. He got a great win over a top, I don't know what we have Anthony Smith ranked, but you know, top 10 dude and doesn't even matter. I don't even remember that because Al Pants just pantsed Perez. Like that was awesome. Uh, not at all what I was expecting, frankly. I thought that fight was going to be incredible back and forth action, and Pantoja just just wrecked him. So he's my he is my breakout performer of UFC 277. Damon, if Derek Lewis wasn't involved in the Sergey Pavlovich fight, could he have been the correct answer to this? Could he have maybe beaten? I just feel like his performance is overshadowed by the stoppage, which. The more you watch it, the more you realize it's not as bad as some of us think. Like maybe it's a little early because it is Derek Lewis, but the aesthetics of it all just looked really bad. But I just feel like if this was anybody else he fought, we'd be talking a lot more about this guy. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, and that's the problem when you have a bad, when you have a perceived bad referee stoppage, is it takes away from the guy who actually got the win. I mean, Sergey Pavlovich went out there and beat the brakes off Derek Lewis inside of a minute. I mean, he went out there stood in front of one of the most dangerous knockout strikers in the history of heavyweight division and just punched him until he couldn't stand up. I mean, it's crazy how, how good that looked. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to think back to Sergey's one loss in the UFC was to Alistair Overeem. And then you look at what he's done since then, you know, whatever it is, four straight knockouts, I believe it is. Um, you know, Pavlovich is, is the real deal and he's really good. I mean, you know, you look at what Ty Tuivasa did to Derek Lewis in terms of striking on the feet, and that was a battle. I mean, that was, that could have easily gone to Derek Lewis. They were just trading bombs, and, and Ty got him before Derek got him back. Uh, in this regard, Derek was never in the fight. I mean, Sergey went out there and just, you know, beat him senseless from the first exchange. It was crazy, and it is unfortunate. Like I said, that's the downside. When you have a controversial stoppage, you know, because that's the conversation we're all having today. That's the conversation we were having last Saturday. That's the conversation we were having on Sunday. Did the stoppage, you know, was it a good stoppage? Was it a bad stoppage? Dana White was complaining about the stoppage. I mean, that's what we're talking about instead of Sergey Pavlovich just going out there and starching Derek Lewis on the feet. You can talk about all of Derek Lewis's losses. He typically doesn't go out there and get starched on the feet, and he did. 
I mean, he got starched on the feet. So it's unfortunate because Sergey is a really fun injection into the top of that heavyweight division. I mean, I think Sergey, you know, we already know we're getting Surreal gone and, and tied to Ivasa, but who wouldn't watch Sergey Pavlovich and tied to Ivasa? That would be a really fun fight. Uh, so, yeah, it's unfortunate because we have a new heavyweight contender, yet all anyone can talk about is the stoppage. Jed, what's what sort of the last thing that we'll move on? What What's sort of the under-the-radar takeaway that you have? Is it, you know, Pantoja and Ankalaya both have cases for a title. Maybe one gets there sooner. Is there somebody on the prelims who performed really well beyond your expectations that isn't getting enough credit? What sort of under-the-radar standout from this card sticks out to you? I mean, if you're going less talked about, uh, it's probably Drew Dober. Just because I, there's a special place in heaven for people who kill humans with punches to the body, and Drew Dober just, just locked himself into those pearly gates. He's golden. St. Peter's gonna wave him right on into the VIP section for the absolute rib roaster that obliterated Rafael Alves's entire soul. Uh, but I will go just for the sake of fun, and because nobody talked about it, and I do think it at least to some extent merits being talked about. Hamdi, baby. Hamdi Abdel Wahab, like this is first a first Egyptian fighter in UFC history, first Egyptian fighter to get a win in UFC history as he defeated Dante Mays by split decision. Little surprised it was a split. He thought he won two rounds, but this is a dude who was an Olympic uh, Greco-Roman wrestler. Was like, oh, you know, it's very impressive to be an Olympian, regardless. Like he was not a world class, you know, top tier Greco guy, but. Again, made the Olympics, moved over. He is athletic for heavyweight, which is always a good sign. Super early in his career, Jorge Masvidal talked big about him because he he fought for Icon for a little bit. Fought nobody of any substance before making his UFC debut. Want to be super clear, all his wins are garbage. Dontel Mays is not garbage. Dontel Mays isn't like a great fighter, but we're talking a dude who I think that was his fourth professional fist fight. Like he has the bones to something, and he showed stuff there. He got hurt. He fought through it. He can strike a little bit. I won't say he's good at it, but he's got some power and he is willing, which is half the battle, especially from someone coming from a non-striking background. And when the chips were down, when he needed to to do something, you saw in that third round, he went to the wrestling. He could do that because he's a friggin' Olympian. So he is still very early in his career, but I think there there are signs that he could make some noise down the road at heavyweight, which is an awful division and being, you know, relatively young for heavyweight because he's not 40 years old means he's got time to develop. So I'll go with Hamdi. Also his name's Hamdi. That's just fun. Yeah, that was a, that was a much crazier fight. And I'm sure the other way more fun than anyone thought it would be. Yeah. And I'm sure your other standout is not betting on Alex Morono on shark week. Like the tail end of Shark Week. Miscalculation. Made a mistake. I don't think I made a mistake because when Matthew Simmelsberger was like, oh, I'm actually just a way better athlete in the third round, he was putting the wood to Morono for a minute. He just forgot that like athleticism's a cheat code and he has a lot of it and Morono has none. Uh, and so he lost. But, you know, sometimes that happens. It happens. Sometimes you make a miscalculation. Sometimes you come on the show with a chance to – Get another victory notched onto the resume. So with that being said, the point for round two goes to... Jed, the great white Mishu. It is two to two. 
tapping into the Alex Baroto chain right there. And I'm very excited about this, this next question. I mean, I'm not overly excited that we're actually talking about it, but I'm curious to get your reactions to this because I haven't heard your reactions to this. We found out during UFC 277 on Saturday that the highly anticipated boxing matchup between Jake Paul and Haseem Rockman Jr. is no longer happening. Jake Paul's promotion, MVP, has stated that Haseem Rockman Jr. just wasn't planning on making the weight, that he has been a stickler, that he's going to fight at 215 pounds, and I'm going to try to get to 205 pounds. Of course, Rockman is denying those allegations. In fact, he has said on multiple occasions this week that he plans on weighing in and making 205 by tomorrow anyhow, just to prove that this wasn't the case. He's claiming Jake Paul was just kind of scared to fight and didn't want to lose. And now we're all over the place. Dana White's saying that it's due to ticket sales or lack thereof. And there's all these different things going on. And we'll dive into some of those conspiracy theories in a moment. But Jed, we will begin with you. When you found out watching UFC 277, preparing your greatness with the live blogging, that this fight, this card was no longer happening at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden this Saturday. How did you react to it? I I had a lot of reactions and I'm still, because I've decidedly not paid that much attention. So, because I don't want to spend too much of my life thinking about Jake Paul when he's not fighting MMA fighters, even though there's some morbid curiosity there. My thoughts boiled down to, well, this was probably always how it was going to go. And really, that sounds about right. Like, I'm not here to excuse uh, Haseem Rahman Jr. because they, Rahman Jr., they, they, they made a contract and it, from the sounds of it, we're not holding up to their end of what they agreed to before the fight. I will also say, as many have pointed out, that some of those stipulations, while agreed to, were done so almost exclusively because Jake Paul wants to leverage the fight as much as possible in his favor which he can do because he's the money behind this, right? Like he, in the negotiations for the fight, it is essentially a take it or leave it for Robin. He's, he can come in and say yes, or he can say no, but he can't really negotiate. I don't want to do these weight things. This isn't, doesn't work for me or whatever, because he's, Jake has the bag. Jake's giving the bag. So Jake can add whatever stupid stipulations he wants. He can demand that Haseem, you know, wears a tea cozy on his head and, and, you know, dances around at the weigh-ins. Like he can make those sorts of things. And so it's, there's a little bit of that to it. The thing I will say, my biggest key takeaway, because I do not care that this fight isn't happening. My biggest takeaway is that Jake Paul is full of shit because I mean this very, in, in one very specific instance, because Jake Paul has cast himself as the hero of fighters, as the savior of all fighters. And he is coming to save MMA fighters from their big, mean Uncle Dana, the promoter. And I am not a friend to Dana White, the promoter. God knows anyone who's ever watched any of our programs knows my thoughts in general here, and certainly on the UFC's business practices and fighter pay, etc. But Jake Paul has also cast himself as the savior of women's boxing. You know, I'm I'm help promoting uh, the Katie Taylor uh, Amanda Serrano fight, and Amanda's going to fight on my undercards, and I believe that Amanda was supposed to fight on the undercard of this one. Am I wrong in that? Tell me if I'm wrong. No, no they were, they were like, they were, she wasn't even like slotted in as the co-main event. They were slotted in as like co-main eventers. Like we're both the main event. It's a double yeah. main event. I'm in one fight. Amanda's in the other. We're both. In the exactly. Main event. 
Exactly. And this is Amanda Serrano is his fighter and he's putting on a thing. And now he he is the he has the sole ability to make this event continue happening. He can say, F it. I don't care. I don't care if you come and weigh in 220. Like, doesn't matter to me. We're gonna get in, we're gonna get busy. And because I, I have other fighters depending on me in this card, Amanda Serrano's here, and I think I could beat you. A straight up, I think I'm better than you, and weight doesn't matter. He ain't doing that. He's saying, no, that extra five pounds is a bridge too far. And also anyone who's ever watched any of our, our programming know, should know that I think weight is the stupidest thing. Like, I don't care at all about weight differentiations in the sport. It has never interested me uh, unless it's like Demetrius Johnson fighting Francis Ngannou because, like, if any of you – if you ever train – if you've ever trained any at, at, like combat sports at all – the training room is go with someone roughly your size. It's not, well, all right, who's, are you one, you're 136? No, I'm 135. I got to go find another 135. You, you just go with dudes around your size. That's how it works. It's the same way it works in the real world, by the way. You don't go to a bar and someone picks a fight with you. And you're like, you got two, you got, I don't know, two to seven pounds on me. I got to back out of this one, but you're, you're the, the soft candy ass or whatever. Like, no, it's, you want to get into a fist <laughs> fight, you get into a fist fight. And Jake Paul talked a rash of shit and he ain't backing it up. And again, I am not excusing Seam Rom Jr. Cause you make a contract, you agree, you follow the terms, but he wants to act big, bad and tough about getting into a fist fight. And he backs out of it when one is still on the table, because that is the truth of it. They're, they could still do this. Jake Paul said, no, because because the bad man weighed too much and I don't want to fight the bad man who weighs too much. And I get why from a business standpoint he does that. But it all just feels grungy to me. All right. Dan, uh, Damon, what do you think? Jed's on Team Grungy with the reaction here. Are you on the same side? Like, what was your reaction on Saturday to, to, to all of this? I mean, you know, to uh, quote one of my all-time favorite movies, Fight Club, I am Jack's uh, utter lack of surprise that the fight got canceled because I think we all saw this, like, you know, as soon as the fight got made and they were talking about, you know, Haseem Rockman didn't want to sign the contract and then there was, you know, negotiations going on behind the scenes for that and then we got the cancellation over weight. I mean, none of it shocked me because this is just kind of standard fare for what we expect after the whole Tommy Fury, you know, debacle. Listen... While I agree in theory with what Jed's saying about the weight, I, I do have to say, if you're a professional fighter and you sign a contract to fight at a certain weight class, know you can make that weight. And he says he can make 205, he's going to make 205. We also have to remember this fight was in New York, and the New York Commission is weirdly specific about weight rules and things like that. I mean, they've canceled UFC fights when there were discrepancies in weight between fighters, so we can't pretend this was totally on Jake Paul for that part of it because the New York commission is very weird about kind of stuff like that. But listen, the, I, listen, I'm not saying that Jake Paul is great. I don't listen. The idea that he's ever going to go out and beat a Saul Canelo Alvarez. Like, come on, let's just stop. Just stop talking about that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> he's not, okay. He's not going to beat Canelo. He's not going to beat Dimitri Bivol. He's not going to be any of those guys. Okay. Let's just get that out of our heads. But the idea that Jake Paul was terrified of Haseem Rockman Jr., a guy with a 12-1 record who has wins over two fighters with winning records, one of which is a guy who has a 26-21 and 21 resume, and the other guy, I believe, is like 5-3. and three. All of his other wins come against guys who are either making their debut, who are like 1-9. and nine. He just got the brakes beaten off him by Kenzie Morrison, the son 
of Tommy the Machine Gun. Uh, <laughs> ha- Hasim Rahman is demonstrably a terrible boxer. Okay, he is awful. Watch his fights. He is terrible. He is not a good fighter. He is getting by because he is the son of a guy who went out and won one big fight in his career against Lennox Lewis and then got beat up by Lennox Lewis in the rematch. Hasim Rockman Jr. is not good. Okay. So I'm not saying that I'm not if saying you ain't scared, Jake, fight him. If you ain't scared, fight him. But that's what I'm saying. I'm not here to tell you that professional fighters are afraid of other professional fighters. I say it all the time. I genuinely do not believe that. Jake Paul ain't a professional fighter. Jake Paul is a YouTuber. And if you ain't scared, get in there and fist fight him because it's the only, it is the only plausible explanation because if he is genuinely not afraid of this fight and he is also not a professional boxer because he clearly is not, he has other revenue streams. Then the actual best narrative for his whole fabrication is this dude couldn't make weight. Son of a former champion. I was already the underdog and he can't even come in. But because I love the fighters on my undercard, because I love Amanda Serrano and because I ain't scared of nobody, I'm going to step in there and I'm going to beat this dude's ass. I'm going to show him what missing weight means as a professional athlete. And he gets in there and does the damn thing. Jake Paul blows up even bigger than he already is. But the only plausible explanation that come that I can see here is that he maybe isn't scared in that, look, I say it all the time, I, I'm i not afraid of getting my ass beat. I've had my ass beat plenty of times. It's not that bad to get beat up in this world. But he is legitimately concerned that he might go in and lose because that dude is not, you want to talk about Rockman's record? Who's Jake Paul beat? Jake Paul beat Tyron Woodley, who wasn't even a good boxer in MMA. He beat Ben Askren, who was an awful boxer in MMA, and Nate robinson like he hadn't beat anybody either he is legitimately concerned that this might be the thing that loses him and he is playing it safe and that's we just, i just want to call it what it is but I'm just i want saying, him to just like, come out and say it you're absolving rockman of all responsibility here if he doesn't if he can't make the weight don't sign the contract he I signed agree. the contract because this is the biggest fight i mean he's just coming off getting worked by kenzie morrison this is the biggest fight he could possibly get because he's never going to get this good again so none of you're absolving Rockman of all responsibility by signing a contract saying I'm going to make 200 pounds. He clearly can't make 200 pounds. Then they move it to 205. He can't make two. This is going back to like what happened with Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori. I was one of the people banging the drum saying just scrap the fight and drop, just release Paulo Costa because when you're starting to pull all this crap the week of the fight and saying, well, I can't make 185. Maybe I can make 195. Well, I can't make 195. Maybe I can make 205. Now. To your point, credit for Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori took the fight and beat his ass? Yeah, I'll take the fight and do it. (laughs) But at some point, there's got to be some professional responsibility involved. If you're going to take a fight, you're going to sign a contract saying, I can make 205 pounds. Make 205 pounds. They signed the contract at 200 pounds. They moved it up to 205. Okay, 205. He can't make that. He can't make – I mean, now he's saying saying 215 is what we're hearing is what he said he could make. At what point do we draw the line and say, okay, we just can't continue to move things. You're just moving the goalposts constantly. Again, I'm not saying Jake Paul is great. I'm not saying Jake Paul is good. I'm not even saying Jake Paul is a good boxer by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm just saying that at some point we have to put the responsibility back on the guy who signed the contract. Hasim Rockman Jr., who is a bad boxer, 
a really, really bad boxer signed a contract to fight at 200 pounds. If I'm Hasim Rockman Jr. and I'm coming off a loss to Tommy the Machine Gun's son, I'm sorry, I'm calling him Tommy. That's his Rocky Five name. It's Tommy Morrison. He's coming off a loss to Tommy Morrison's son. He got worked in that fight, and it was a blowout. I mean, he got worked for the first few rounds, and he got knocked out. This is the biggest opportunity of his life. If you're not out there doing everything you can do to make 200 pounds to fight Jake Paul and go out and get your $2 million payday or $1 million payday or whatever payday you're going to get, then it's on you. This is all on Hasim Rockman Jr. because he signed a contract and had no, no care in the world to actually make the weight. Obviously, he didn't because now he's making every excuse in the world to say, well, I could, yeah, maybe he will weigh it at 205 pounds come Friday or Saturday or whatever he's saying he's going to do it. That doesn't mean he can actually fight the next day or he actually made any real effort to make that before now. So I'm not, I'm not saying Jake Paul doesn't, you know, he couldn't have taken the fight. All these different, I get it. But the, the blame falls on Hasim Rockman Jr. Because this was his chance. This was his time to make a whole lot of money to do, to basically fight a YouTuber as you're calling him. And he blew it. He, this is this is Tommy Fury times two. Tommy Fury couldn't get in the country. Hasim Rockman can't make weight. Good Lord, guys. Just do what you got to do. Go get your paycheck and get out of here. I don't understand why it's so freaking hard. That was, that was a rant and a half. Love that. Uh, last thing before we move on, I'm sure people are like pounding on their tables, like stop talking about Jake Paul, but I don't care. We got to talk the about coward. This. We have to refer to him as the coward Jake Paul now. <laughs> Damon, what do we do now? Because we can't do Tommy Fury. They might try, but you can't do it. It's just going to get eye rolls and reactions. And I mean, it's pretty much every time we get a Jake Paul fight on paper anyways. You can't do Rockman Jr. again because we're not going to go down that road unless you do it like in Florida when it doesn't matter. What the hell are we going to do now? Like who's going to fight Jake Paul now? Like is... Is this September 10th fight between Nate Diaz and Hamzat Shemaev? Is this part of it in some way? Are they like, well, you know what? Maybe we can fight Nate at the end of the year and we don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Like, what do we do now? Do you want, okay, there's two versions of this. There's what should happen and what will happen. What should happen is Jake Paul signs to fight Anderson Silva and then we never talk about Jake Paul again because Anderson Silva will go out there and just demolish Jake Paul. The fight lasts maybe three rounds. Anderson Silva knocks him out, and then we're not talking about Jake Paul anymore. That's what should happen. That's the fight that should have happened now. That's the fight that should have been booked before Tommy Fury. That's the fight that should have been booked after Tommy Fury. But we all know that's not going to happen because Anderson Silva would beat the brakes off Jake Paul. He beat the brakes off of Hossing Rockman Jr. He beat the brakes off Tommy Fury. So we know that's not going to happen. So what will happen, they're going to watch Nate Diaz go out there and get thrown around the octagon for for you know three rounds or two rounds or however long the fight lasts for Hamzat to basically chuck him out of the cage. And then they're going to sign Nate Diaz to fight Jake Paul you know, December, January, whenever, you know, whenever Nate can reattach his head to his body after Hamzat's done with him, they're going to read, they're going to throw him in there and that's going to be the fight because we all know that's the one they want. That's the one. And listen, I'm not faulting Nate Diaz for doing it. Go get paid, Nate, 100%. Nate, go out and get paid. I hope he does. Uh, the UFC is doing him dirty as it is right now. The UFC is absolutely doing Nate Diaz dirty with, you know, holding up his contract and then making him fight Hamza Chemaev. Be that as it may, that's the fight that's probably going to happen. Should it happen? Should that be the fight? Absolutely not. It should be Anderson Silva. 
But you and I and the rest of the world knows Jake Paul is not signing up to fight Anderson Silva. It's just not good. You want to you talk about being quote unquote afraid of a fight. No one should be afraid of fighting Hasim Rockman Jr. You should be afraid of fighting Anderson Silva. This might be the most chaotic round in the history of the show, and I love it. Jed, you're you get the mighty pencil again. It's a powerful tool. What are we doing here? What's gonna happen? What should happen? What will happen? Who will Jake Paul fight next? We know he's fighting Nate Diaz. That's why he's chickening out of the, the Rockman fight. Because if he goes and gets knocked out by Rockman, regardless of what happens, if the weight comes in and Rockman is 30 pounds over and he said, F it, I'm going to do it because you suck ass and I'm better than you, and goes and gets blown up, it still takes the shine off the Nate Diaz fight. And that's the money fight because that is that is the truth of what has happened here. Is He is maybe not afraid of Rockman in that in, in the general conception of the term. But he recognizes that as bad as Rockman might be, there is a legitimate threat for the first time he's going to fight someone who's bigger than him, who he doesn't have a massive athletic and physical advantage over, and who at least has been a professional boxer. Whether it's bad or good, he is a professional in that. And that, can, that brings with it legitimate danger and risk. When instead, he can just... Use this as a good excuse to say, nah, F it, move aside. Nate finally has an out. Because I guarantee you, if Nate didn't have this on the books, if this was not planned, if Nate was still in forever Cold War with Dana White and getting out of his contract, then this would look different. Because then there's he he wants to get a fight in this timeline, etc. With Nate in play, Nate is in play. That is the goal. That is the end game. Nate does whatever against Hamzat. Nate's not pulling out of that fight if you shot him on the walk to the ring. He is going to finish his contract and get the F out of the UFC. And as soon as his paper's clear, he's going to get a phone call. Hey, man, when are we doing this? Let's do this thing. And they're going to build it. They're going to give you a full court media press. And they're going to do the thing. And that's the right business decision. And that is what's going to happen. It's what should happen. But do not think for a second that the withdrawal from the August 6th event, I think it was August 6th, right, is not directly tied to Nate Diaz having a fight on the books and almost being out of the UFC because it absolutely is. Maybe that's what happens. We shall see. I think that's the favorite. If there's betting lines for this one, you got to go in that that's direction. A, that's a big favorite too. If there's yeah. a book out there, it's got to be like minus 400. And I, I've said this all week when people have asked about this. There's only five or six people on this planet who know exactly what happened with this fight. We can contextualize it. We can make predictions. We can have our thoughts on why this fight's not happening on Saturday. But again, there's only like five or six people on planet Earth who know exactly what happened. But it's dumb. It's a travesty. And I feel bad for the rest of the fighters on the card who aren't going to get the chance to fight in Madison Square Garden, Amanda Serrano specifically. But Let's move on. Let's move away from this. The point for round three goes to. Got to give it to Damon. He is just on fire today. And Jed, Jed was on, was on one too, but I thought Damon, <laughs> Damon just brought the thunder. It was good stuff. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. 
and Cedric the Best Dumbe makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Speaking of thunder, Jed, let's begin with you here because oh, I know how why? excited you are to talk about this. This card blows. What is, let's follow up UFC 277 with the return to the almighty UFC Apex. UFC Vegas 59. We have a big light heavyweight fight. There are some stakes here, especially more so for one side of the fight. Cole main event is excellent in the welterweight division. We're going to crown two ultimate fighter champions. We got Terrence McKinney back on the card, and we got a couple of interesting matchups that I didn't even realize were happening until I looked at the actual card on Sunday. So UFC Vegas 59, Jed, having heard just that, not even looking at the rest of the card, one to ten. What's your excitement level for the for this next Apex card in a little over forty eight hours from right now? Um, two point three four seven. Like I, this card is awful. Like I, I say it a lot. Um, if you have family or friends in town, totally okay to skip this one and go to MMAfighting.com. It's the best website in the whole wide world. And you can follow along because we're going to have coverage. We're going to have every angle, every possible angle of this sphere of a card. Uh, we're going to cover it intently. We're going to have live blogs. We're going to have post-fight press conference, all of that. So you can hear about the two things of note that may have happened because this card is bad. Um, there's just no way around it. Like there is one fight that's awesome because the co-main event is a banger. Do not get me wrong. I will tune in for Vicente Luque any day of the week. He's fighting Jeff Neal, who is also really, really fun. I think this is a very competitive, exciting scrap. That fight rules. And then, like, there are things that you can talk yourself into. Terrence McKinney's usually pretty fun. He's, you know, on the undercard. Miranda Granger, Corey McKenna is hilarious because there's a 10-inch reach discrepancy. And I don't know, that can't have happened more than like a half dozen times in the history of the UFC. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, unless you're really vibing Augusto Sakai, Sergey Spivak. Notably, you might be watching this right now, viewers, and say, Jed, but you didn't mention the main event. Because the main event is going to suck. Because I'm sorry. Tiago Santos is the least fun fighter in the UFC. It's just true. And you're thinking to yourself, no, I see his highlight packages. The UFC, you know, they've given the promo thing about this. Nope. Those are from 2017. He hasn't been fun in like three. He has not been fun since he knocked out Jan Blachowicz before fighting John Jones. He fought John Jones in 2019. It is three years since he has done something cool in the cage. He has mostly just lost awful, awful fights 
And then he won one awful, awful fight against Dominic Reyes. It is just, he, I don't know what it is. I'm sure some of it's getting old. Some of it's that he blew out both his knees in the John Jones fight. Really tough to come back from a double knee blown surgery. I assume having never done it myself, but he's not that fun anymore because you look at a lot of these fights, like they're supposed to be fun. Him versus Johnny Walker on paper was supposed to be dope. Nope. One of the worst fights I've ever seen. Uh, him versus Magman and Goliath was supposed to be cool because like Tiago Santos, absolute hitter, Magman and Goliath, best dude in the division, horrifically bad fight. Like he's just not fun anymore. And so as fun as Jamal Hill is, this is probably just going to look like that where Tiago, where both men respect each other's power too much to actually throw at either of them. So we get a staring contest for 25 minutes because for the love of God, I can't figure out why the UFC has decided. I know that Tiago Santos has burned us four fights in a row being boring as shit but let's give him 25 more minutes because that's what the fans need right now it's gonna be awful uh the main event the people's main event anyone with a brain cells main event is the co-main event uh because i don't know we need a term for this you know ak has penultimate fights versus co-main events we need a term for when the co-main event is the actual main event because luke joff neil that's the best fight in the card Tune in for that one and none of the rest of it. I didn't even mention that Sam Alvey's on this freaking card. <laughs> Sam Alvey. This card is awful. Oh, wow. What are we doing? Uh, wow, a standing ovation for, for that rant. I mean, we might have to doing? move the show to noon Eastern from now on because it's just, just absolute fire. Damon, Jed gave it like a 2.3457. What, what are we giving your excitement level for UFC Vegas 59? First off, let me give my own standing applause to Jed for that one because that was pretty spectacular. <laughs> um, and somehow, I didn't think this was possible. I really didn't think this was possible because I was like, okay, I'm I'm usually, I try to take a little bit more of a positive spending with the terrible cards, but I'm actually going to rate this lower than Jed. He said 2.3. What This is like a 1.6, and here's why. I don't, this main event he keeps talking about, Jed, I, the one question I have, what main event, what, I don't even know what this main event you're talking about is. I haven't even heard this fight. The main event is Jeff Neal and Vicente Luque. I don't even know what main event you're talking about. I've never even heard of this Tiago Santos, Jamal Hill fight you keep talking about. I don't even know that's happening, right? The main event is, of course, Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque. The other part that you didn't even mention, which is really the, the least selling of a terrible, terrible fight card, it is a six-fight main card featuring two Ultimate Fighter finales with four fighters you've never heard of on a show you've never watched. A.K. Lee has. And, and if you go to MMAfighting.com, great website, we have recaps on all the tough shows. And it's a 10 p.m. Eastern start time for a six-fight awful fight card. That, to me, lowers this down to, like, the bottom of the barrel in terms of where this fight card ranks at least if it was like a 4 p.m start time you think maybe i'll get out of here by like seven and i can like you know take some drinks to you know commiserate what was a terrible card no you're gonna stay up till 2 a.m to watch tiago santos lose a 49 46 decision to jamal hill that's what you're staying up till 2 a.m to watch folks okay and you're gonna see two ultimate fighter finales that nobody cares about. They're on the main card that nobody, these, the, the ultimate fighter finale fights could literally be the opening fights on the early prelims and no one would care about them. Okay. 
they're on the main card. This is a horrible, horrible card, and you're making it at 10 p.m. Eastern start time. That is such a ridiculous notion. Like, I'm saddened that this is going to go on till 2 a.m. on Saturday night. That's what we're going to be talking about at 2 a.m. is how Jamal Hill just beat Tiago Santos by decision. No. This is... Uh, the Ultimate Fighter should have been canceled like 19 seasons ago, and we're still having a finale that no one cares about. On the, It is so bad. This is so, so bad. Hand up. Wow. Hey, hand up. I truly did not know this was a 10 p.m. start time. And I would like to say two <laughs> things. The first thing I would like to say is I adjust my rating to a 0. 0.12 because wow. <laughs> the second thing, I would like to issue a sincere and heartfelt thank you to Deputy Editor Stephen Morocco of MMAfighting.com, great website, because I was supposed to work Saturday, and then he was like, hey, would you like to take this Saturday off because you did this other thing? And I was like, you know what? Sure, I haven't had a Saturday off in a long time. Thank you, Stephen, because I did not know that you were saving me from the worst Saturday night of my life. Tune into MMAfighting.com. Please don't watch this card. <laughs> I was going to say, make sure you watch the preview show tomorrow. I'm sure you're yeah. going to be real excited after that salesmanship. And make sure you watch the post-fight show. No, we'll you should watch we're us. We're entertaining. <laughs> we're great. All of our content is is spectacular at MMAfighting.com, great website. It's just, it, and it's and you know what's great about our preview show? It's not at 2 a.m. What the hell? That's just, whew. Whew. All right, That's so, Listen. I do want to. I do want to try to glass half full this in some way, okay? Because the whether how no matter how we feel, the ultimate main event is Vicente Luque versus Jeff Deal. That's that's what we think. That's what we're the most excited about. Let's that's just say rules. It's a great fight. It's a great fight. Let's just say Damon Jamal All Hill goes out there on Saturday. And blows the doors off Tiago Santos. Let's just say he goes out there. Tiago gets a little a little crazy. Jamal catches him with a big counter, knocks him into the cage like he did to Johnny Walker, and Jamal Hill gets another huge first round finish. Where does he go from here? Like, how excited would you be? Not just because the card is over, but just like at his potential and where he could go in this division. How high can he go coming off of a performance like that? Should that happen on Saturday? Let me say this. I've, I've made a lot of fun of this card because it's a terrible card, but I do really like Jamal Hill. I think he is a really solid prospect. Of course, he had that kind of shocking loss to Paul Craig, uh, which, you know, credit to Paul Craig for pulling out the win the way he did. But Jamal Hill is a very, very good prospect. And this is, you know, again, if he can go out there and beat the brakes off of Tiago Santos, yeah, it's a big win. I think it's going to set him up for a top five, top six fight, which doesn't say a lot in the light heavyweight division because that division is not very good. Uh, but it all depends on what they end up doing with the title fight because you got, you know, Yuri Prohoshka and, and it looks like Glover Teixeira, they're going to run it back. You got Jan Blahovich out there and you got Magomed Ankalaev. Now, Ankalaev and Blahovich sure sounds like a lot of fun, and that seems to be the most logical matchup to make if you're going to make Prohoshka and Teixeira, so then Jam Jamal Hill kind of becomes the odd man out. So it basically is that, Jamal Hill facing whoever's left out of that, you know, array of fights. Uh, and I think he's in that range. I think he's in that top five, top six range where he's going to get one of those kind of guys. I would love to say, you know, Anthony Smith would be a perfect next kind of opponent. But unfortunately, we know Anthony Smith's going to surgery for the broken ankle, probably going to be out for a while. 
Yeah, I'd almost feel bad saying, well, you bring back a guy like Dominic Reyes, who is a you know a proven contender, you throw him in there against a, a wood chipper like uh like Jamal Hill, that might be a little bit mean. But yeah, I think he's in that top five, top six range. He's just kind of in that uh you know, the, as you, uh, as you said, the Baron of bad timing, because there's just not going to be a big fight available for him at that point. Because again, I think Ankalaya Blahovich makes the most sense if you're going to do to share Prohoshka. So then he's kind of stuck in no man's land waiting for a fight. That's the only downside, but I'm high on Jamal Hill. I think he's very good. Uh, if he can, and, and, and by the way, let me just go ahead and say this. If Jamal Hill can go out there and knock out Tiago Santos in the first round and finish this card at like 1.30 a.m. as opposed to 2 a.m., I will I will start banging the drum, and I will personally lead the Jamal Hill bandwagon for getting me out at 1.30 as opposed to 2 o'clock, which is what I fully predict is going to happen with this card. Jed, what say you? What say you? Jamal Hill goes out there, has a fun fight, a fun performance, does the damn thing. What does this lead to? I agree with a lot of what Damon said. Um, look, if someone can make Tiago Santos fun, it's probably going to be Jamal Hill because Jamal Hill probably won't care and will just be like, let's chuck him and see who falls first. And maybe that can be fun. And God hope it is because that will be better for everyone involved. Sadly, though, if he wins, he doesn't get much out of this because hey, the U- I'm looking, pulled up the UFC rankings right now. They've got Tiago Santos at six, which is astonishing to me but that is where he is in the ufc's light heavyweight rankings so that's going to move him into the top 10 but like damon said everybody in front of him they have a obvious next dance partner or they just blew out their knee in you know in the case of anthony smith and alexander rockage so it's it's tough for him to see the the two options are if if you're jamal hill what you need to do is you need to pick the fight you need to come out on the. You need to come out, make a statement, knock out Tiago Santos viciously, and you need to use your mic time afterward to call for a fight with Jan Blachowicz, because Yuri wants Glover. That's probably what's going to happen, even though Jan doesn't want it. Whatever Jan wants his shot, and obviously Ankalaev wants his shot, but Ankalaev isn't isn't burning the doors down, and he didn't use his time to effectively say, "All right, if Yuri's going to fight Glover, Yanni, it's you and me. Let's go." So Jamal Hill should take that opportunity and be like, hey, look, Jan, you're, you're going to get passed over. He can even say you're going to get screwed out of your title fight, Jan. So let's you and me go put on a fan. I want to put on a show for the fans. I want to test out legendary Polish power against my right hand. Let's do the damn thing. That's what he needs to do to have any shot at fighting up next. But he probably won't. And the, probably the next – honestly, he's probably going to fight Dustin Jacoby or Khalil Roundtree next because like you could do Ozdemir. Ozdemir coming off the Paul Craig thing and that would be close. But if Jacoby comes and beats um, Khalil Roundtree Jr. in a emphatic or interesting way, he's going to move up the rankings a little bit. And at that point it becomes a Jacoby deserves to be getting that. And that fight would also just be dope. Like that would be incredibly fun to watch Jamal Hill and Dustin Jacoby chuck him. So I think that's probably where we end up. But maybe Hill has an outside chance to really make a strong case for a Yanni Blocko fight. Yeah, maybe he gets Dominic Reyes when he's ready to return. That's a that's a decent size name for him as well. But. I just don't believe that Dominic Reyes return. I'll believe he's coming back when he's coming back. He's been out for also. I want to apologize. I didn't mention Alexander Rakish because he's doing the Tiago Santos thing where he's winning and p- doing forgettable performances where Tiago's losing in p- unforgettable, unforgettable performances. So I apologize. I forgot Alexander Rakic, the guy who's highest rank, who has not a single fight I remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's 
I, I remember him busting his knee against Jan Blagovich. Does that count? <laughs> that might be the one time. That's the that, one time. That, you, just, that you, you got it, Jed. You got it, Jed. You got it. Because that was a string of weekends where the main event just kept falling over injured. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Let us move ahead. That is this Saturday. Make sure you tune in, everybody. If you can't, MMAfighting.com. Point for round four goes to... I mean, you got to give it to Jed. I mean, it's just such passion, <laughs> such emotion, such excitement for this Saturday's car. And that means we're going to the knockout round, people. So it's probably going to be a poll in the youtube channel so make sure you vote on who's gonna win is it jed is it damon i think draw has been an option the last couple of times but we're gonna ask one question well each of these guys are gonna have an opportunity to speak for 60 seconds once their 60 seconds are over you can vote on who you think should win this show and then we'll bring on casey and he will announce the winner based on your vote so jed you are you are the uh the, the senior here on this program the winningest player in the history of the show we're gonna have some fun here. So do you wanna go first or do you wanna go second? I'll go second. I'll let Damon have the fun first. Okay, so Damon, you're gonna go first. We're gonna play a fun game because both you and Jed have been just cutting some great promos today. And I figured with one of these fights that has just been announced as a, as a targeted bout, uh, one that could create some just great promos. We're gonna turn this knockout round into like a regional WWF segment, and I'm gonna have you choose door number one or door number two before we I explain to you what we're gonna do here. All right, uh, let's go with door number, I'll go with door number two. Door number two, and I'm so glad you said this. So Damon, we have a fight that's targeted for the end of the year between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. Oh, no. And a lot of people have a lot of people are very excited for this. And I know why you're excited that been. he chose that door. And I'm more Damn excited it. than I have ever been. So, Damon, this is like a regional WWF promo where it's just you and the people and you're trying to sell tickets for this event, for this fight. You, my friend, are the former interim lightweight champion of the world, Dustin Poirier, and you have 60 seconds to sell me on why this is the fight, why we should tune in, why this is this could be the best fight of 2022. One minute on the clock, Dustin. Your time starts now. Well, everybody knows what I bring to the table every time I fight. I step in there and I deliver Louisiana hot sauce in my hands. Every single time I step in there, I go out there and I put on a fight, fight of the year, fight of the night. That's just what I do. And when I go out there and fight this Bellator bum, I'm going to prove why he is a B-League fighter. I'm going to go out there and put him away the way that Justin Gaethje couldn't put him away. I'm going to put him away more dominantly than Charles Oliveira put him away. I'm going to send him back. He's going to have Scott Coker on speed dial when I'm done with him, okay? This is going to go out there, and it's going to be a one-sided beatdown, and I'm going to go out there and put on a performance with a lifetime. And you want to watch it. You want to see me go out there and beat him up, get another big knockout. I'm going to dispatch him like I did Conor McGregor. He's going to be calling up Jake Gyllenhaal trying to get a role in a movie just like Conor did after I was done with him. It's going to be a one-sided beatdown. It's going to be a great fight. You know you want to watch it. You know you want to see it. And you know you want to see me send him back to Bellator when I'm done with Michael Chandler. I don't need any more after that. I'm done with this guy. There you go. And let me just say this. I know Jed might be thinking this is fixed, but honestly, I was kind of hoping he would choose door number one and you could be Dustin Poirier because the things you might have come up with in the Poirier role would have been tremendous. But I have to say, 
I am equally as intrigued. If I am actually very intrigued by this because Jed, you have to become the man that you have ripped to shreds for the last couple of years on this program. You are the man who will be fighting Dustin Poirier either in November or December. You, my friend, are Iron Michael Chandler. One minute on the clock. Sell me on this fight. Why is this the one? Go. Dustin Poirier, because I like to yell in all my post-fight interviews instead of being interesting. I know I didn't want to fight you, Dustin Poirier. I know that you were far down on the list because you actually might be decent, and then that would be me fighting somebody who's not old and washed or bad. But I'm fighting you for one specific reason, Dustin Poirier, and it's because you talked crap about the UFC. You were bitching about Dana not giving you a fight, and if there's one thing I'm going to do, it's defend and lick the boots of Dana White. So let's go, Dustin Poirier. Sure, I haven't beaten anybody relevant at lightweight in years, and frankly, neither have you, but we're both squatting on high rankings and depressing all the fun, exciting, up-and-coming lightweights. So let's keep doing that because we're probably going to knock each other out and it's going to at least be really violent and fun even if it's not going to mean nearly as much as the numbers next to our names makes it seem like it does let's go to the moon straight to the top sorry oh my god ah that was amazing that was unbelievable and you know what here's the thing jen has always said well if Jed's like, I've never been like a pro wrestling guy. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't believe you. I officially don't believe you because you cut that promo like 80s style pro wrestler. That was like Roddy Piper getting you into San Francisco, bro. That's how, that that's how Michael Chandler does it. He just yells. I just didn't <laughs> want to scream at the top of my lungs because that seemed a bit much. Oh, although man, I think, I, although excellent. although I will say, and that was that was great. I will say, you did kind of blow it with the. You got straight to the moon instead of straight I, to the top. You did kind of, you, you did yeah. muff that one a little I, bit. I, I fumbled the ball at the end, on the one <laughs> yeah. yard line. Just dropped it. <laughs> you had it. You had it. Well, cast your votes because that was outstanding. Uh, is it going to be Jed Mishu? Is it going to be Damon Martin? Is it going to be a draw? Are we just going to call it right down the middle and call it a draw? So. Uh, so just to let you know, tomorrow we'll have a preview show. And I'm sure after what these guys had to say about UFC Vegas 59, that's one you're not going to want to miss. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll also have Heck of a Morning tomorrow morning as well. We'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show. I'm not sure what time, but we'll let you know. Then we'll have the post-fight show right before the sun comes up on the East Coast. And then AK and I will be back on Sunday for another episode of On to the Next One for some matchmaking fun. And at this time, let's that's bring a great in... show. The Honorable E. Casey Lydon, which, by the way, check out No Bets Barred as well, because even though Jed may not be uh, all that enthused to watch the card, he has probably got some bets down, and you can see where he's putting his money, where he's sprinkling the cash around. No? No bets? Very few? No, the no bets are barred, so the best way to enjoy a otherwise lackluster fight card is to have skin in the game, so I have more bets than I should. (laughs) Because why not? There you go. And yes, when is, uh, we also recorded Dan, they were good uh, on Ronda Rousey, which was a lot of fun. When is that that dropping? It's either either coming up this afternoon or tomorrow. I don't know how the schedule will work, but one of those two. It was, it was a very fun episode. Jed hosted. It was AK, myself, and you had to get New York Rick in there. Otherwise the show just doesn't make sense at all. Considering the takes upon takes he has had about Ronda Rousey over the years. So now. We go over to you, Casey. 
You've heard the I, arguments. I, I, wish I, was, I wish I was part of the Ronda Rousey show. I'm, 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 I can't wait to hear it. I'm, I'm a, I, I feel Ronda Rousey is probably maybe the most underappreciated fighter. In, we uh, talked in a lot about that, actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Earlier in the show, though, Jed, when you talked about Amanda Nunes' biggest wins, you failed to mention Ronda. Come on now. You didn't even mention Ronda in her top five wins. <laughs> I, I did not for a very specific reason. <laughs> I'm Man, that hurts. That, that stings. Stings for poor Ronda. Don't don't listen to "Damn, They Were Good" because that fight. Uh, we don't we don't speak well of it. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, Casey, who won this thing? Oh, we have a winner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Let me finish up this. Get everyone's bodies in. All right, here we go. Your winner today is the engineer and the Michael Chandler hype train, Jed Mishu. Jed gets it done. That promo Michael Chandler finally did something good. <laughs> that was that was outstanding. It was, and, and, and it was. Despite a competitive four rounds, the fifth round was a 10-7. I'm sorry. It's like it was um, one of the, 70% of our voters. Jed Mishu, the most hated man in the YouTube comments, still got 70% of the votes for that dominant fifth round. Great, great job, Damon Martin, but the fifth round, that was all. Jed just took over. I yeah. set him I set him up with that Michael Chandler. That's what that's what did me in. Yeah. I set him up to actually have to promo Michael Chandler. That's what screwed yeah. me. Honestly, yeah. I would have had a harder time being Dustin Poirier, I think, because then I would have just been like, he sucks. I don't want to fight him. <laughs> if Damon just chose door number one, would we be having the same conversation? Could be so different. Jed, congratulations, my man. Back in the wind calm. It's been a, been a few shows, but uh, you, know what, you know the drill. 26 wins, 30 seconds to speak. You know, I don't have that much to say other than it's great to be back in the wind column, and I want to make the case because I was not on the ranking show. I listened to the ranking show. If you haven't dropped yesterday, I believe on the MMA fighting pod network, great pod network, great show. Uh, the case that Magomed Ankalaev is actually the guy who was the most screwed right now of a title fight, because let's be honest, he is the man has won nine in a row at light heavyweight. There's only been one other human being in history with nine wins in a row in the UFC light heavyweight division. And it was John friggin Jones. And that man is not getting a title fight. And so I agree, Alexander Pantoja and Ketlin Vieira and all these other people and Benil Darius was mentioned and all these other people, they also have done a lot to deserve a title fight, but he's the best 205er in the world. He's on the biggest streak by far and he's just not gonna get it. And that sucks. So I love you forever, Magomed Ankalaev. And we're gonna get there one day, baby. Let's go. There you go. Damon, any, any final thoughts here? No, uh, I just want to say uh, good job on the Michael Chandler promo. I could not have cut that any better myself. And uh, way to go, Jed. And I agree with Mike. You may not say you like pro wrestling, but you got a little pro wrestler in you. I you just do. never grew up watching it because my parents wouldn't let me. I think I would love it if I ever like got into it, but now it just seems too difficult. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. But that's it, everybody. We're done. Casey, you could hit the uh, the exit music as we say goodbye. 
to another fantastic episode of Between the Links. We appreciate you. Join us tomorrow for UFC Vegas 59 Fun, for Jed, for Damon, for Casey on the ones and twos, for the iconic voice of Esther Lynn, who may or may not take you out of here. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for watching. We'll see you back once again next week Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links. I'm Mr. Lynn. Congratulations, Michael Chandler. Uh, yeah, you rule. Whatever. <laughs>